So it was just about this time last year that I got one of these in the mail. Anybody recognize those? It's one of those, oh, right, no. Who said that? Um, So this is, if you've never seen one, this is what you get when you've been accused of running a red light and they have a camera. Anybody gotten one of those notices in the mail? Raise your hand. Hold it up loud and proud. Come on. Wow. Wow. You guys need to be here this morning. And you, you are my people. Right? We got one of these about a year ago. I opened the envelope and there were a wave of thoughts and emotions that just swept over me. At the front end of it, leading the charge was denial. Right? I mean, there's no way this could have happened. But the pictures told the whole story. It was our car that was behind the line when the light turned red. It was our car going through the intersection after the light turned red. And as if I needed more verification, I clicked on the video link and I watched our car. (laughs) And then they have, at least in the ones that you get from Palatine, you get a blown-up image of your license plate is like the final nail in the coffin. Guilty. And I started thinking about, how am I going to explain this to Connie when she gets home from work? Truthfully, what I started to think was, how am I going to hide this from Connie when she gets home from work? It's 125 bucks. It's not a small thing in anybody's family budget, right? And then I looked again, and I realized... It wasn't my car. It was Connie's car. (laughs) Well, that just changes the perspective of the whole conversation, doesn't it? How could she be so careless, so reckless? How could she put herself and our new vehicle in danger like that? God forbid she had the grandkids with her and did something like that. Not pretty, but that's what was going through my head. And so then I did the appropriate thing, right? I opened my calendar to verify that that's what had happened. This all sounds really bad, confessing it in front of you. It sounded really clear and simple in my head. I looked at the calendar and I realized she was in that car as a passenger, On the way home from seeing our new grandson. Except it was me that was the driver. And the conversation changed again by quite a bit. What I realize as I think back on that series of unfortunate events, grace, when we're guilty, grace is what we hunger for. When we forget, when we mess up, when we make mistakes, accidental or intentional. When our actions are wrong and our words are hurtful, when we harm people, when we slight people, when we hurt them, when we're jealous or angry or defensive, and the list goes on and on, when we're confronted with our guilt, what we hunger for is grace. So why is it that when the guilt's on somebody else, we often withhold that very same grace. Uh, Good morning. We are in this second week of this brand new series 
out of the book of Romans, the 12th chapter. It's what it's based on, and we're calling this series Living All Out. And in these messages, these talks over the next few weeks, what we're going to look at each Sunday is different ways where we ask the same question. If we took this specific area in our life, if we disrupted our normal way of thinking and feeling and reacting, if we just simply took this one aspect and lived all out as the Bible teaches, how would it change things? Today we're going to talk about how living all out would impact the grace that we do or we don't extend to other people in our lives. And if nothing else, I think I verified I need this message this morning. So hopefully it will help you too. Uh, Paul is the best teacher we could ask for on this topic of grace. Prior to encountering Jesus, Paul was an aristocratic snob. He'd gotten the equivalent of an Ivy League education. He sat at the feet learning from the most sought-after, respected teachers of his day. He was a Pharisee, and they were the religious elite of his day. Paul's backstory, when you understand it from the book of Acts, paints him as this arrogant, self-righteous, proud man. And as if that weren't enough, Paul invested a number of years of his life hunting down, tracking down believers in Jesus, having them arrested, thrown into prison, and sometimes killed simply for their faith. Many years after his conversion to Christ, Paul wrote these words in Romans 12, verse 3. And he says, for by the grace given me. That's a huge statement for Paul. He had experienced a grace that not only forgave his sins, but allowed him in turn to become a powerful force in the spread of Christianity. He is fully aware of where he would be without grace. And from that humble place, he calls us to live in the same grace he knows. He says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Knowing Paul's story adds a depth to those words. Before grace, he had an inflated ego. He saw himself through his influence and the position that he had worked very hard to achieve. He lived in a place of pride and power. After grace, he was still a force to be reckoned with. But grace leveled the playing field for Paul. It fundamentally changed how he thought about, interacted, and felt about other people. His every thought, his every action was measured in light of the grace that he had been given by God. There are lots of definitions out there for the word grace. The one I love best pointing to biblical grace is that grace is unmerited favor. It's a recognition that We've been put in a standing with God that we could never earn apart from grace. We haven't done anything. And yet the Bible goes on to teach if that same grace we've received from God doesn't get translated into our everyday interactions with people, then it's been meaningless. We've missed the point. Now, it's normal and natural for us to get irritated or upset with people. And I think your list of things that irritate and upset you are going to be different than mine. 
But the reality is that God wants us to learn a different way to respond, no matter what's on your list of irritating, upsetting things. Living in grace means we acknowledge that everyone has faults. Everyone has weaknesses. Everybody can have a bad day. Grace means we love people in spite of and through their personality quirks and their faults. Grace also says we'll never be perfect at this. We'll never come to the place where we always extend grace. But I wonder, I wonder how it fundamentally changed our interactions with our spouse, with our children, with our friends, with the rest of our family. If everything we did or said was grounded in grace. I'm going to focus this morning on three tensions that I know I feel in my life. I would guess that you do too. I'm not saying these are the biggest tensions people face. I'm not saying... These are the only tensions we face. What I'm hoping is, is that as we work through these three this morning, if they're not a place where you need to work on grace and living all out, they'll at least trigger some thoughts that help you understand what those areas are. The first of those is, I believe that grace believes the best in others. Now, grace isn't blind. Grace doesn't ignore the truth about people and their actions. Grace just simply says there's a distinction between the truth that you know and where you're headed. Grace says, I'm not going to try to figure out why you said what you did. I'm not going to try to figure out why you did what you did that hurt me. I'm just going to work with the facts I have and not get ahead of those. And all the while I'm going to believe you didn't mean it the way it came across. We lose grace in our relationship when we begin to assign motives to people's words and actions. We imagine in our heads all the possible reasons why they did what they did or said what they said. Eh, They obviously don't respect my time. That's why they're late to this meeting. Well, he's still upset or she's still upset about what I said last week. That's why they posted that snarky comment on social media. We read between the lines of emails and voicemails and text messages. And as we do, we start to imagine motives and even outcomes of the situation we find ourselves in. And the decisions we make then are usually not very good. The default mode for grace is that when something happens, we'll believe the best about the other person. But I know. I know my friends, and they're not perfect. I know my family isn't perfect. My son, my daughter, their spouses, our grandkids, they're not perfect. I know my wife is the only person who is perfect. (laughs) She's not. And I'm not either. None of us are perfect. Because of the grace that we've been given, we are called to live in and extend grace, to be humble and remember how human we are as well. We all make mistakes, sometimes careless and sometimes intentionally. And when those mistakes happen to us, grace doesn't catastrophize them. It believes the best about the other person as we continue to work through it in relationship. Secondly, I think grace recognizes and respects differences. It's not too hard to notice differences 
between ourselves and other people, right? I mean, you just look around you this morning. There are tons of differences. Some of those differences don't really matter a lot. You know, I mean, you see them and they don't matter to you. They might to somebody else, but they're just not a big thing to you. I'm a child of the 60s. Not that I'm 60 years old. I was born in the 60s. And in the church that I was a part of, the faith that I was a part of then, hair was a big deal. I mean, specifically, there were lots of conversations because, you know, this, this rock and roll thing was just changing our world. And, and guys were starting to wear long hair. What's that about? Well, that's not Christian, right? I mean, it, it sounds trivial now, but it was a lot of conversation in the churches that I grew up in. And at the time, even, I went, I could care less. I mean, really, I don't care if your hair is long or short. I don't care if your hair is black or brown or red or blonde. I mean, I don't care if your head is bald. I don't have a problem with that, partially because I'm moving in that direction every day. The length of your hair, the style of your hair, the color of your hair, the colors of your hair, or the lack of it doesn't really matter. There's a lot of differences that don't matter to me. You could name your own this morning. But that's not true of every difference that I see. There are some things that really are small, but I still struggle with them. I'm not going to confess all of the areas I struggle this morning, but one of those, honestly, for years, I struggled with tattoos. I mean, when I saw a tattoo on somebody, I just didn't understand why you would do that. Right? Why would you, why would you put that permanent thing on your body? Do, do you not, this is my sick brain, do you not understand that as you age, your skin will not be as taut as it is when you got that tattoo. That beautiful leaping dolphin with all of its color and texture, time you get in your 70s is going to look like a beached whale that's been neglected the help it needed for a long time. It's not going to be pretty. Why would you do that? And then a few years ago, I talked to a young lady who... Um, had a full sleeve of tattoos going. And as I earned her trust just back and forth in the conversation, what I learned was that whole sleeve told her story. That whole sleeve was a sign to her that her life had changed. The only way she handled the stress and anxiety of growing up was that she cut herself. And when she worked through that and got out of that place in her life, the tattoos were a visible marker to her. Their life was different. And in a very practical sense, they covered the scars she had left on her body from the cutting. Completely changed my perspective on things. I don't look at them the same way. I see tattoos and I see a story and I see a work of art and I see someone's joy or someone's pain. Now when I'm in a restaurant and the server goes to set our food down or hands us the menus and I see tattoos because most restaurants want them to cover them, I see them poke out from under the skin. Most people are willing to tell their story with just a simple comment or a question like nice ink. 
Hearing her story helped me understand and respect differences in a way that I never had before. And there's a million ways that you and I are different, right? A million ways. We're different and unique in our political views, in our upbringing, in our goals, in our values, in our dreams, in our likes and dislikes in this world. We're different. We're even unique in our faith. My story and your story will not line up. Your faith journey is very different from anyone sitting around you this morning. It has its own twists and turns, its own ups and downs. And I can promise you, you're not going to agree on every detail of faith. Grace, all out grace, says, I'm going to choose to cheer and celebrate those differences that have brought you to God rather than complain and criticize them. Here's how Paul says it a little later in the book of Romans. He writes, Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they're strong on opinion, but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. That's grace. When we discover differences in people, to treat them gently because they have their own history to deal with. It's a great picture of all-out grace. One more. And it may actually be one of the ones that all of us in the room deal with. Maybe one that we struggle with more than any other. Grace gives and receives forgiveness freely, without qualification, without question. If moving a person in your life to the forgiven box, out of the penalty box you've got them stuck in, if that's what it takes, there has to be something they do to prove they deserve to be forgiven, that's not grace. Remember the definition Grace is unmerited favor. Grace forgives even when it's undeserved. Doesn't mean the relationship is restored, but grace forgives. Not because they've earned our forgiveness. Not because we can see change in their life. Not because they've asked for our forgiveness. Grace comes in spite of their actions and their words. In Colossians, Paul writes, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Not a lot of wiggle room in that verse. If I'd been sitting with Paul when he wrote it, I'd have probably softened the language. Give us an out, right? There's none. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, here's what it's anchored in. The Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Grace compels us to forgive, not because of anything in them, but because of what we've been forgiven by God. And that may be the toughest part of living a grace-filled life, is to remember and live in that. Because we have high standards in our relationships, and the closer we are to the person, the higher the standards. It's okay to have those standards, as long as we understand the person on either side that's supporting those standards is imperfect. 
Mistakes and mess-ups are inevitable. And we can work through them as long as we nurture grace more than we nurture our grudges. It's not easy to live this kind of grace, this exceptional grace. It's a completely different view of life and our interactions with people. But when we fully and finally grasp just how much grace God has extended to us, we start to see all the people and the events differently in our life. We look at tough situations and tough times through the lens of grace. And that grace will for us, just as it did for Paul, it will level the playing field. We are all sinners in need of grace from God and from each other. And that grace won't rule our lives, won't rule our relationships until it rules our lives. A few years ago, I ran across a story that I've kept for years. I think it's about six years now that I've kept this. I just periodically read it to remind me of this amazing grace that we get from God and we need to extend to each other. The story was about a mom, Jessica, who had four kids, lived in Oklahoma. She was shopping for groceries one day. And, I mean, she had a lot to do, a lot on her mind. So she was working her way through the store. And when she realized there was a man who had been following her. And she was on a pretty erratic path through the store. So it was a little unusual he was following her. She didn't think much about it until a couple of aisles later. He was gone. And so was her wallet. So she did something I don't know that I've ever seen anybody do. Rather than call the police, she searched the store and she found him. And she confronted him. She said, look, I, I think you have something that belongs to me. And I'm going to give you a choice. You can give my wallet back and I'll forgive you. Beyond that, I'll take you to the front of the store and I'll buy your groceries for you. You can choose that or you can choose to not return it and I'll call the police. It's a gutsy gal, right? They stood there staring at each other for a couple of minutes and he reached into the pocket of his hoodie and he pulled out her billfold and handed it to her. And then together of them walked to the front of the store. She bought his groceries. Some bread, some bologna, some cheese, some milk. Simple things. $27 worth of groceries. And as she paid for his groceries, the man began to cry. And he apologized repeatedly. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I was desperate. I'm broke. I have kids at home and I'm just trying to figure out how to feed them. I'm embarrassed. I'm so sorry. Finally, Jessica looked at him and she said, it's okay. I forgive you. Sometimes all we need to turn things around in life is a second chance. Look, I hope you don't play that story out in your life today. Nobody steals your wallet at a restaurant or the grocery store after church. What I know to be true of each of us is we all have areas in our life where we give grace freely and then we withhold it. 
what I hope is that we'll grow towards that kind of grace in the areas where each of us struggle. What I know is that we hunger to have our lives marked by that kind of grace, to be that kind of a person. And if we're not living a life that's marked by that grace, we're called by Scripture to figure that out, to work through where we tend to give and where we withhold grace and begin to give it freely to those who don't deserve it, to those who least deserve it in our lives. I love the way the message translation puts Paul's words in Galatians 5. It's just really brutal on this topic. He says, since this is the kind of life we have chosen, this spirit-filled, grace-filled life, let's make sure that we don't just hold this as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but that we work out its implication in every detail of our lives. That means we're not going to compare ourselves with each other as if one of us is better than the other or worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. I love that. We're not better or worse. We're just all people in need of God's grace. And we're people who need to grow in extending that grace to others. Each of us is called to live that kind of grace-filled life.